Welcome to the Centerpoint Church podcast. At Centerpoint Church, we are a community of believers impacted by God's saving grace and the love He demonstrated in Jesus Christ. Our response to this amazing grace is to allow it to transform our lives and to share it with others. As a body of believers, we find our purpose in knowing Christ, growing together, and reaching beyond ourselves to help others do the same. This week's message comes from 2 Samuel 12, where Nathan confronts David about his sin. This summer at Centerpoint, we've been um, wrestling with what it looks like to pursue God's heart. What, what would our lives look like? What, what would our aim, what would we aim for? What virtues would be present? And how would those virtues shape our hearts as people who pursue God's heart. This is what we've been wrestling with and working through. And if you need to catch up, go back to the website, wearecenterpoint.com. All the, all the sermons are there from the whole summer. But this morning, um, we want to engage this question again. And, and this summer, we've been, we've been looking at, a, at one who's gone before us. Sometimes the best way to learn is to learn from someone who's a little further down the road, someone who's engaged in a different way. Um, and we've been learning from this guy named David. Now, that might be a familiar name to you, or it might be a new name to you. But David is this, this important person in God's grand story of redemption and plays this really vital role. And one of the things about David, one of the ways he's remembered, one of the ways the Bible talks about David is David was a man who pursued God's heart. Well, what does that mean? What did David do? The books of First and Second Samuel, this is in the Older Testament, right towards the beginning of the Bible, the books of First and Second Samuel chronicle much of David's life. And what we find is, as we read those books, is it's complicated. David didn't do one thing. It's all kinds of things. Um, we looked at, at David's anointing, his, his selflessness, his, in, his integrity, his intimacy with God, his, his vulnerability with God. We looked at how David trusted, how David lamented, how David was attentive, or, or maybe when he wasn't attentive. Each one is a piece of a larger mosaic of, of what it looks like to pursue God's heart. And as these pieces start to come together, I hope you start to see a picture. It's not one thing, it's, it's a lot of things. It's a life of things. It's a different life. It's a way. It's the Jesus way. And we start to see that picture come into focus of what it looks like to pursue God's heart. Last week we talked about attentiveness, and if we're going to be a little more accurate, we talked about a lack of attention or a lack of attentiveness. To pursue God's heart, we need to be attentive. And when we fail to pay proper attention, we fall into what is called apathy. Apathy. And apathy is, is like, I think, heart disease. At least it's a disease of the heart. It infects us and impacts us dramatically. I would say that apathy is the pandemic in the church in the United States. It's at pandemic levels. It's a, it's a real huge problem. And like heart disease, apathy, it works in the background. Apathy kills quietly. By the time you realize that your heart has turned to stone, your sin has snowballed and taken you to places that you, you never dreamed you would go so far off track, so far from God, that you're left wondering, how did I get here? How did I get here? And in case you're wondering, even that is God's grace to you. 
how did I get here, is God's grace to you. It's the echocardiogram before the massive heart attack. It's the wake-up call. It says, wait a minute. Slow down. Stop. Pay attention. It's your opportunity to change course, to adjust your aim, to get back on track. In 2 Samuel 11, the, the chapter we studied last week, apathy has taken hold of of King David's heart. Now, David is king, and his authority and his power and his resources are unchecked, and they are unparalleled. After years on the run, constantly in danger, depending on God for everything, David rests from all of his enemies. When he looks at the world, he sees, he sees no threat, but he sees no equal. David begins to to see himself above the work of being king and instead focuses on the benefits of being king. Apathy. Apathy is taking hold of David's heart. David forgets. He's on the throne to serve God's people and to serve God. David acts as if God's people exist to serve him. As if the work of being king is is beneath him now. He's happy, if if you keep reading, he's happy to ride out and spike the football once the Israelite army has captured a city, but he's not going to do the work. And it's a problem. The sin of apathy apathy begins to snowball in David's life, and, and it starts with lust. And, and then adultery, and ultimately murder. David does what we've been doing since the beginning. He tries to hide his sin. He, he tries to cover up his sin, to keep it in the dark, allowing sin and its consequences to go to work and to snowball out of control. And we're left wondering, how did David, how did David, a man after God's own heart, get here? Throughout history, we've seen, we've seen multiple tyrannical rulers. We've seen dictators, and we've seen the wake of destruction they leave in their path. We've witnessed, and our history books are filled with, the devastation that sin brings on the earth, the destruction of sin in the world. So I'm going to ask you to take a little risk with me this morning. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And I'm going to ask you not to fall asleep. So if you're at home, please stand up if you're on the couch. But close your eyes and please try not to fall asleep. Would you do that? Maybe maybe I'm the one taking the risk here. But would you all, for just a few minutes, close your eyes. Clear your mind. And imagine a sinner. Imagine the worst sinner. Picture them. What what do they look like? What what do they sound like? How do they act? Do you have someone in mind? Okay, open your eyes. That's all. Thank you. I have one question for you. Did you imagine yourself or someone else? When you picture a sinner, do you imagine yourself? When you picture the worst sinner, do you imagine yourself? Do you picture yourself or someone else? We tend somehow to be able to see other people's sin. But we often struggle to see our own. 
to pursue God's heart, we need to be aware. We need to be aware of our sin, and we need to be aware of our need for a Savior. This guy named Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote a book called The Gulag Archipelago, and this book reflects on his time and torture and the injustice of the Soviet prison camps in the 1900s. And this is what Solzhenitsyn writes. The line separating good and evil passes not through states, not between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. If we're to be people who pursue God's heart, we need to be aware of our sin and have the humility, have the humility to invite people into our lives who are willing to tell us the truth. Have the humility to be accountable, to step into the light instead of hide in the darkness. 2 Samuel 12 illustrates what this might look like. Another piece in the mosaic that we need in order to pursue God's heart, to see the full picture of what it means to pursue God's heart. If you turn to 2 Samuel 12, we're going to read verses 1 to 14. You're welcome to follow along if you brought your Bible this morning. If you have an electronic device that you like to read Scripture, dial up 2 Samuel 12. We're going to read 1 to 14. It's going to be on the screen for us right here as well. So as you're finding that, I would like to just invite us into the Spirit's presence with a prayer. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, may your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and the glory of Jesus our single concern. Amen. So in 2 Samuel 11, so this is the chapter before, there's a pattern. There's a pattern you might not have noticed, but it, it shifts right here. There's a hinge. These two chapters work together. There's a pattern, and it's a pattern of David sending and directing. So David sent for Bathsheba. Then David sent for Uriah and and tried to send him home in order to cover for his sin. And, And that didn't work. So then David sent for Uriah again and then got him drunk and then tried to send him home to try to cover for his sin. And, and that didn't work either. So then David sent Uriah to be killed. Now God does the sending. Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich, And the other poor. The rich man had a a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it. It grew up with him and his children. It, It shared his food, drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, He took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who'd come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. 
You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why? Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who's close to you, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die, but because you but because by doing this you've made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You are the man. You are the woman. You are the person. I am. God sends Nathan. And as of late, people who come to David with bad news don't live very long. It, it takes courage for Nathan to go to the king and confront him. To speak the truth in a way that, that David could hear it. It takes some skill to do that. And allow the truth to make David aware of his sin and his deep need for a savior. We have a deep need for a savior. David goes from king on his throne, declaring judgment upon another. He imagined the sin of this other person, right? He declared judgment upon another. The man who did this, the man who did this deserves to die. This is David high on his throne, king above everyone else. To a king humbled on his knees. Aware of his sin, David says, I have sinned against the Lord. The judgment that David pronounced on this sinner he imagined is the judgment David deserves for his sin. Death, it is a judgment we deserve for our sin. To pursue God's heart, we need to be aware. Aware of our sin and our, aware of our need for a savior. The seedbed of awareness is humility. It's the place where awareness grows. The seedbed of awareness is humility. When we're aware of our sin and humble ourselves before the Lord, accountability will lead to confession and to repentance. And David's about to be humbled. Apparently, David has forgot who is king and lord. David's apathy 
has metastasized into arrogance, and the Lord gives David a humbling reminder of what is true. The Lord says, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you. I gave you the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And if all this wasn't enough, if this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why? Why did you despise the word of the Lord? David, this is what you did. You despise the word of the Lord. David, you've done evil things. You have sinned. You have missed the mark. Open your eyes and see. David, you struck down Uriah. You took Uriah's wife to be your own. You killed him. David's apathy has metastasized into arrogance, and he has forgotten that God is God, and he is not. And he forgot, and he sinned against God. He got way off track, way off the mark. Of how did I get here kind of moment. And there are consequences to his sin. There are repercussions for what he has done. God says, the sword will never leave your house. And it doesn't. Your kids are going to suffer. Your family is going to be a mess. And they were. This is all because of what you've done, David. David, you've tried to hide your sin, to keep it in the dark. But the consequences of your sin, the impact of your sin, will be in broad daylight for all to see. There is no hiding it. It doesn't get better in the dark. You might think you can hide your sin. I know you've tried. I know I have. You might think you can hide your sin, that you can keep it in the dark, that you can keep it under control, that you have this. It's, it's going to be okay. You can play with this, and it's not going to burn you. You think you can keep it hidden, that you can escape its consequences, and the truth is, you just can't. You can't. Hiding your sin will not save you from it. Recalling your sin, being aware of your sin, confessing and repenting your sin, throwing yourself at the feet of Jesus is the only way to be saved. I asked you to close your eyes and, and imagine a sinner. Then I asked you to open them. So would you open your eyes? Would you open your eyes? If we're to pursue God's heart, we need to open our eyes. You are the woman. You are the man. I am. Paul, this great evangelist and teacher and church planter, Paul, the guy that wrote many of the books in the New Testament, Paul was aware of his sin and his need for a Savior. This is what Paul writes in, in 1 Timothy. Here's a trustworthy saying that de deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Don't imagine all the sin that is out there. Be aware of the sin that is right here. You are the man. You are the woman. And Jesus died and rose again for you. In order to pursue God's heart, we need to be aware of our own heart. Humble ourselves, confess, and repent of our sin so that we can receive grace and mercy and forgiveness from our Savior, Jesus. This is what Jesus says in Mark 2. 
It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. David's eyes are opened. He's aware of his sin and he confesses, I have sinned against the Lord. And the Lord does what the Lord does. He shows mercy. Mercy means not getting what you deserve. The Lord shows David mercy. Jesus came to save sinners. Open your eyes and see your sin. Bring it into the light. Confess your sin to God and be free. If you're not sure where to start or what to do, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay to borrow words. The Bible is a resource that's full of them. It's, it's a gift to us in order to do the things that bring us into relationship with God. There are great words we can borrow. So if you're not sure where to start or what to do, um, the Bible gives us language that shapes our hearts in the way of God. In a posture of humility and confession and repentance. So if you have something to write with, and you want to write in your worship guide, or you have your phone, you want to take a little note, just write down Psalm 51. Psalm 51 in Hayward, and I know you got pens on the chairs. Grab a pen, write down Psalm 51, P-S-A-L-M. It starts with a P, Psalm 51. We're going to go back to that this week. I hope you go back to that this week. A Psalm of David. And this is the little descriptive paragraph before you start reading the psalm. This is what it says. When the prophet Nathan came to him, after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. In Psalm 51, we get a window into David's heart once he sees his sin and his need for a Savior. This is what David writes. This is what we can pray. These are words you can use when we're aware of our sin and our need for a Savior. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was, I was sinful at birth. Sin from, from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me Wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I'll be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. For some reason, it's easier to see other people's sin than it is to see our own. It's easier to see someone else's sin to imagine it in our mind's eye than it is to open our eyes and see our own sin. The invitation this morning is to open your eyes, to be aware of your sin and your deep need for a Savior. 
Jesus came to save sinners, to set us free from our sin and shame. All we need to do is humble ourselves, confess and repent and be set free from our sin and receive the grace and mercy and forgiveness that Jesus offers right now, right here today to you. This is the good news of the gospel. Jesus died and rose again to set you free from that. Give it to him. Don't carry it anymore. Don't keep it in a dark closet. Bring it into the light and and hand it over and be free. The invitation this morning is, is to step into the light. Open your eyes and ask Jesus to create in you a clean heart. And then fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Two things I I just want to invite you to think about this week. Actually, two things I really would like you to do. Obviously, it's up to you. Is there a person in your life who has permission, who you've given permission to speak the truth to you? Is there a person in your life that you've given permission to tell you the truth? A person like Nathan. If so, who is it? Think of their name right now. Who is that person for you? Bring that person to mind and then reach out to them and set up a time to get together. Maybe it's a good thing to do. Maybe, maybe even set up a time to regularly get together. Maybe that's something we can do. Now, if no one comes to mind, if there's not a person in your life that can tell you the truth, maybe truth you don't want to hear sometimes, um, you need somebody. We all do. Maybe think of someone this week that might be that person for you and reach out and set up a time to get together and give them permission to speak truth to you because we need this in our lives. David needed it. We need it. We all need someone like Nathan. Second, would you be willing to pray David's prayer from Psalm 51? I'm going to pray it every morning. I'm going to pray it out loud. I'm going to ask you to pray it with me. Wherever you are, whatever time works for you, with a whole heart, would you pray that prayer from Psalm 51 and ask God to set you free from that sin? Awareness of our sin brings us closer to our Savior. As you pursue God's heart, open your eyes, step into the light, and fix your eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come before you humbled. Jesus, we know that you came for a reason, and that reason is to save your people from their sin. God, you did not come to save the righteous, but sinners. You came to save people like us. God, forgive us for falling back into the pattern of the garden to hide from you, to cover our sin and shame as if you don't know and can't see and aren't aware. God, help us to be aware and to step into your presence, into the light and be set free from our sin, to confess and repent and be set free. God, this is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you have offered to us. 
So God, search our hearts. Help us to see. Make us aware. Bring people into our life that love us enough to tell the truth, to hold up a mirror and say, hey, what about this? And God, let us be free. In humility, we repent before you that we are sinners in, in need of grace and forgiveness and mercy. And those are the things that you shower in abundance. So God, as we step towards you and we step into the light, I know it's scary, but we step in hope, the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So God, grant us courage. Courage to face our sin and be freed by our Savior. We lift this to you, Jesus, in your precious name, and we thank you for the grace you give. We pray this all in, in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Centerpoint Church Podcast. Be sure to keep up with us on social media at facebook.com slash wearecenterpoint or on Instagram at wearecenterpoint. We hope to see you soon in person for worship this Sunday at 930.